0: Oh, we're going through the book of Luke. Why? So that we can see who Jesus really is and hear what he actually says, which so often is very different than just filling in the blanks for ourselves as to what we might think or feel about him. And oh, my goodness, today in chapter 14, it's one of those reorienting Chapters, But I hope you realize to be reoriented, usually you have to be first disoriented and dislodged from what you already think and have concluded and hold to. You realize human beings do not go around thinking nothing about nothing. We make assumptions. We make connections. We interpret. We just don't always do it very well. And Jesus knows that about us. This is two and a half years into his earthly ministry now. So it's time for some dis. Orientation, but he's good. He loves us. He doesn't want anyone to miss it and still have been around him and yet go to hell. He knows it's possible. And so this is a final message from 14, but if you've been tracking with us, then you know. Man, these messages in chapter 14, these encounters have been disruptive. Chapter 14 has been like a tornado of disruption. As it looks like Jesus is trying to offend as many people as possible, right? But what he's doing is he is actually thinning out the ranks of this giant Jesus bandwagon that is now has thousands of people. People that understand what was going on say it was probably ten to 20,000 people that were just following him, that were flocking to see him or hear him. But he sees hearts. He knows. But why? Why are you there? Everyone isn't there for the same reason. Why would he do this? Why would he disorient and disrupt? Well, here's one of the huge reasons. Jesus is not jazzed by big crowds like we are. He actually came to make disciples and save people from their sin, not just serve them in any way they want and so, oh, again, in this passage we 're going to look like look at he 's thinning out the crowd by clarifying and emphasizing what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus who 's in the kingdom with him and not just looking at it from the outside. You realize you could look at it, know a lot about it, have some facts and still not be in the kingdom with him, born again, born again. And so buckle up because this is not a feel good sermon from Jesus. One of the benefits of going through a book of the Bible is you're forced to see everything that he says, not just the things that you like. This is not a feel-good sermon from Jesus, but another jarring passage where he wants to make sure that you are in the kingdom with him. And not still outside of it saying, yeah, I like Jesus, and I agree with a lot of what he says. Do you realize you could like Jesus And agree with a lot of what he says. Unbelievers all the time say, I like Jesus, I I just don't like the church. When they say that, I know they don't know everything he said. You can like Jesus and agree with some of what he says and still be going to hell. New birth, why is it called new birth? That sounds pretty radical. New birth and salvation are far more than just saying, I believe Jesus existed and giving intellectual assent to some facts about him. New birth and salvation actually takes place, ready? When you give him your life. How much of it? All of it. And call him your Lord. Mm. Turn to Luke chapter 14. Turn to Luke chapter 14 and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them. He didn't turn and just say to his disciples. He turned and said to the whole crowd. And he turned and said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. Cannot be my disciple disciple now he's going to give two illustrations about count the cost count the cost I want you to count the cost for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and say it with me if you got the ESV count the cost whether he has enough to complete it otherwise when he's laid a foundation is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish What king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate? The word in the Greek literally means calculate, take into account cost. Deliberate whether he's able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce... All that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He would use that phrase when he literally was pleading with people, that he's just said something really hard, and he wants you to hear it, hear it. He would say the same thing today. Some of you need to hear this. You need to hear this. You need to reconsider. Do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? Have you been born again? So what does Jesus want to clarify for us here regarding what it actually means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Well, number one... It is so clear from this passage, number one, that Jesus has no category for superficial and cerebral followers. He has no category for superficial or cerebral. By superficial, I simply mean this, you guys, someone who outwardly conforms to some degree. You tweak a few things. You've been around the church long enough. Maybe you were raised in a Christian family. You know what those things might be that don't cost you much. You outwardly conform to some degree, but you're still not a Christian because you've never given him your life. You are still in control of it. You call the shots. You still call the shots. Jesus rides shotgun with me. Jesus won't ride shotgun with you. You still call the shots. By cerebral, that's simply a word that means all intellectual, all head, all info. By cerebral, I mean someone who assents to some intellectual facts about Jesus and the gospel. But you still have no affections for him. And you still have never submitted your Will to Him. Now, see, here's the danger. Christianity is one of those religions that has a body of truth and information that matters, right? We're a truth oriented group of people. He gave us a Bible, a revelation of who He is. The danger is if you're not careful, you can just think all that matters is just information. And here's what I want you to get because if you read your Bible, how much of it? If you listen to Jesus, how much of what He says? Here's what you'll see salvation has an intellectual, emotional, and volitional component to it. There are things you must know. Oh, I didn't know that that's what God and his son did for us. But it requires not just assent, but shift of affection and submit. This is the hard part for human beings. Your will to his and say, you be Lord. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my life, not just my intellectual agreement. So, oh, oh, if, if you here today are one of those people, superficial, cerebral, I've, I've, I've conformed outwardly to a few things because I know what some of those things. Or intellectually, yes, I don't hate Jesus. I'm no atheist. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You realize the demons believe in God and tremble. And you can believe in Jesus. Question is, what do you believe he said for you to do? Who do you believe he is? What do you believe is required for salvation? What's the cost? What do you have to give up? And see, here's the thing. Jesus says, I'm not making this up. This is Jesus. Jesus says, if you're superficial or cerebral simply, then you are not one of his you're not a Christian, you're not in the kingdom yet. Listen to me, everybody seems, seems to think, because this is how it works in life. I get it, I live in this world with you too. Everything about this life has levels, right? You know, one point, when I buy my Bible software, do you want to enter in on the ground level? It's basic, and so therefore it's 189. But do you want the scholar level? I could buy a used car with what they charge me for that, for the original languages and all that. What level do you want? And we tend to think that way about every 1.0, 2.0. Everything I have is like, do you want supreme? Do you want presidential? Do you? It's going to cost you more. You're in, but you're on the bottom level. Everybody seems to think that's what Christianity is like, that there are two levels of being a Christian, the regular Christian and the committed, devoted disciple of Christ that decides to get serious and call him Lord. Make him Lord. Problem? Bible doesn't talk that way. And Jesus certainly isn't talking that way right here. So what is Jesus actually doing right here? Because trust me, you guys, he loves us. He loves this crowd way more than you do. He loves us. He came to give his life so that people would not go to hell. What's he doing right here? I'll tell you what he's doing. To his credit, even though this is hard... I hope you could appreciate this. To his credit, he's not doing what happens to us in this world so often. You say, what is that, Brad? He's not keeping the actual cost hidden or a secret. He's telling us right up front. Right up front, the cost. That's why when people say to me, oh, oh, the gospel it can't be that easy. It's simple. It's not easy. The cost is you give up control of your life. You give him your life, not just your intellectual assent, Affection, will, you submit. And he knows that's costly and it's hard. It's hard. He says, I'm not keeping the real cost from you. I'm not hiding it. I'm not soft peddling it. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm telling you right up front. Last month, Vicky and I, for the first time, for decades, we thought, oh my goodness, one day, someday, if we can, we'd love to take our adult kids and their spouses and grandkids to the beach and stay together. And guess what? If you pay, they will come. <laughs> and it worked out. Yeah, people, amazing, they could get off their jobs. Wow, they can't always do that. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, they all found a way to be there. Daddy paying, I'm there. But here's what we found out. Oh, we had a great time. It was not a disappointment. I was like, oh my goodness, we all agreed it's one of the best times we've ever had together as a family. So sweet. But, but daddy had a budget. Daddy had planned for this, and mom. And it's like, oh, wow. Here's what we discovered. I was shocked at the actual final cost Compared to what, what happens when you get on websites with Airbnb and Vacasa and whatever. It's like right there splashed like so much a night. I'm like, we can do that. That's amazing for that house. Are you kidding me? So when the dust settled, I was like, what just happened? Why is that on my American Express? I began to scroll down through the actual invoice very carefully. I had to go low to see additional costs. And guess what? Lots of it. Un- uh, freakishly. You ready? Cleaning fee, $400. Limited damage waiver, 112 Amenity fee. We played a lot of shuffleboard. 105 Booking fee, 550 you like to push that button and give it to us? $550? Like, are you serious? Taxes, 617 Florida, Okaloosa County sales, $359. Okaloosa County tourist tax, 257 I'll let you do the math. But when the dust settled, the actual cost per night was very, very different than the big number splashed on the website. Jesus never does that. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He wants you to know the true cost of following him right up front. And so he talks about who it is that cannot be His disciple, ready? He talks about who it is that cannot be his disciple because he knows what it is that usually holds us back and gets in the way. This passage, he puts his finger on what usually holds us back and gets in the way. It's very sobering, you guys, but I slowed down and read it with emphasis. Hopefully you caught it. Three times, not once, not twice, three times he uses four sobering words in this passage, cannot be my disciple. Look at the end of verse 26. He cannot be my disciple. Look at the end of verse 27. He cannot be my disciple. Look at the end of verse 33. He cannot be my disciple. What is he doing? Well, listen to me. He's two and a half years into his earthly ministry now. He's six months away from departing. And now, all the Gospels, you'll notice this, even though there's lots of chapters left to Luke, it goes all the way to Luke 24, each Gospel writer takes up tons of chapters for just those final months of his life and even that crucifixion resurrection section. They save lots. He, at this point, has now turned his face towards Jerusalem and he is headed for Jerusalem for his death and resurrection, which is what he actually came to do to solve our biggest problem, the sin problem that separates us from a holy God. And so right now, he is sharpening the focus on what it actually means to trust him and belong to him. Because as he looks at this crowd, He's not jazzed that oh my goodness there's 10 to 20,000 people flocking all around him. He knows that the commitment of these people flocked around him, the commitment level is all over the map. Some of them are barely committed. Some of them are truly committed. Some of them are nominally committed. Some of them are just there out of curiosity. Some of them are there just for the excitement. If there's excitement, people will show up. They just like to be around it. People wanted to be there. But he knows Everybody's not there for the right reason. Listen to me. You feed 5,000 men. It was actually 20,000 people. People like that. You do it again and feed 4,000 like that. Open blind eyes. Raise people from the dead. Take a widow's son and say, hey, sit up right in the coffin. You'll get a crowd. Question is, what do they want you to do next? And why are they flocking to you? He knows. He sees. He's like I came to solve your biggest problem but everybody in this crowd has not heard it that way or seen it, they're trying to use me and I actually want to save them. And they have mentally said yes, I like all that and they're not hearing what I'm really saying. They've not given me their life. They've not submitted to their their will. They're not saying yes, I'm all in. And so what does he do to sharpen our focus on this? Number two. Jesus says you will have to abandon all of your normal earthly priorities. Does that sound radical? Uh, Yeah, it is. You will have to abandon all of your normal earthly priorities. And I know that sounds radical, but that's what he wants us to get a hold of. I'd say it to you this way. He wants you to understand coming to Christ is not a superficial makeover. It's a total life takeover. He's offering eternal life. Oh, yes, he's offering free forgiveness for all your sins. But the doorway into that, the entrance into this amazing life is not makeover. Takeover. 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 As you surrender your life to him, stay with me, and you go from running and ruling your own life to submitting to him and saying, yes, Lord Jesus, you're now authority. I give you control of my life. New authority in my life. Yes, I'll trust you. I'll listen to you. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about our normal priorities. That It seems that you see it played out in human beings. No one has to tell you. But if you boiled it down, this is what you tend to see. Our normal priorities, normal priorities of what we usually live for, me, my people, my stuff, me, I care a lot about me, and I hold on to my life, I like running this thing, I'm super concerned about how this goes, therefore I don't entrust this to anybody, I'll do this, my people, significant relationships, and my stuff, it's mine mine. I want to decide what to do with it and I trust in some of this stuff. It makes me who I am. These things me, my people, my stuff. Guess what? What you actually see in this passage is Jesus steps right into the middle of what we prize and prioritize most and says all of it has to become secondary to me. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. In other words, he's like I won't be added to your parade. Yeah, here's the parade of my life and the wagon of my life, and I'm still leading it. Yeah, ride in the wagon, Jesus, because there's times I'll need you, and I can just pray and say, Jesus, help me here. You he won't be added to the parade of your life. He's like, I won't just be an appendage on the side of your life, and I will not be a footnote while the bulk of your life, chapter after chapter after chapter, still really looks exactly like the rest of the world. Same values, same priorities. Just now we got Jesus to help you get what you want. Books are written that way and they sell a lot. You can find this version of Christianity on television. The reason it's on television, it costs billions of dollars to be on television. How can they put it on television? Because people give them so much money because it's what they want to hear. Oh, tell me there's a way to just outwardly conform and tweak a few things, and add Jesus to my parade. And now, by golly, not only do I work hard to get what I want, me, my people, my stuff, he's on my side, and I just tell him what to do. I love it. Jesus is like, no. He comes crashing into all three categories in this passage. Look at verse 26, where he talks about the people you care about most. Verse 26, he's putting his finger on the people you care about most. Mother, father, wife, husband, children, brother, sister. Look at the end of verse 26 where he talks about you, your very own life, you. And then look at verse 33 where he talks about your stuff. How much that you have? Say louder. All, 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 all. He says, you either give me, your life as your sovereign Savior and Lord, or you are still in control of it yourself, yourself, and are outside of my kingdom. You know a lot about it. You can see it from here. You've been informed, but you're outside of it looking in I mean, why do you think you guys, it's not in Luke, but it's in Matthew, there's that sobering passage in Matthew 7. There's going to be people that stand before him one day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they begin to name all kinds of things they did, and he doesn't say, You were saved and then you lost it. What does he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. Yikes. They knew about him, but they didn't know him, they were not born again. They had not been translated from darkness to light. They didn't go from outside the kingdom to inside the kingdom because he didn't go from good teacher or whatever to Lord, Lord, Lord. In fact, in the Greek, it's worth noting that word renounce. Look at the word renounce in verse 33. That word literally means to surrender, to give up, and to say goodbye to something dear to you. So long. Goodbye. You say goodbye to something dear to you. Let me ask you. New birth, salvation, is not just saying hello to Jesus. It's saying goodbye. It's saying goodbye. Salvation is repentance and faith. You turn away from what you were trusting in and clinging to to him. You say goodbye to some things and you surrender, you surrender. You guys, this explains, are you ever confused about people in your life? We've got this huge number of people that supposedly are Christians when they call around on the phone, right? In America even. Why isn't there more of an impact in our land if that many people were actually Christians? Let me propose to you in light of passages like this, and this is not the only one, a whole lot of people who think they're Christians and think they're going to heaven or not. If that many people actually knew him. And had shifted their affections to him. And had surrendered their will to him. And were actually listening to him. And living loose to the things of this world. We'd be making more of an impact. Yes. Mm. Wow. Wow. Now here's what, I, here's what I want to make clear. It doesn't mean you got to cut off people from your life. I don't care about anybody else now. And it doesn't mean you have to get rid of all your stuff. So here's the good news. I still have stuff. I have a car. I have stuff. I have a nice guitar. I have a house. Here's what it means, you guys. You ready? What he's talking about in verse 33, renounce, is when you come to saving faith in Christ and you give him all of you, that means you give him me my people, my stuff. And you relate to it all differently because now you go from ownership to stewardship. I'm a steward of this life. It's my life, but notice how the Bible talks. You've been bought with a... You're not your own. See, here's, here's the thing. We tend to think, oh, I go f- from being a slave to sin and Satan in my flesh to being free to do whatever I want and I listen to Jesus every now and then. The Bible teaches you go from slave to sin and Satan to, I hope this doesn't up upset too many of you, slave of righteousness, slave to Christ, bondservant. Even that passage that I love to quote, let me point something out about it. Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. This is Jesus talking, Matthew 11:28. 28. And I'll give you what? Don't stop. He didn't stop. Take my what? Yoke, you've been yoked up to sin and Satan in your flesh. I'm calling you to a better yoke, but it is a yoke. You have to agree to, I'm yoking up with you, Jesus. I'm yoking up, and, and good news, he says, for my yoke is easy, but let's be careful. The Greek word means a good fit. You were made to do life with Jesus, but my friend, New birth means exactly that. You do life with Jesus. I'm not a free agent that's been forgiven of my sins, and I'll decide whether I really want to obey him. Now, don't get confused. I've been praying all weekend. I'm convinced the people that should not be disturbed by this message are probably going to get disturbed. Oh, maybe I'm not a Christian. I don't think I love him enough. I I haven't renounced my stuff. And then some of you that really need to be rattled just sit there thinking, yeah, whatever. I want the right people to be rattled. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do that. We will never be perfect. There's a place for maturity and growth. So don't hear what he's not saying. Salvation is not earned. So don't hear, don't hear him saying, I gotta do all these things first and then come to him. What he is saying is this coming to him is a coming to him with all of you, not just intellectual assent, And it's giving him all of you and saying, I am willing to put you first, shift my affections, bow my knee, submit my volition and will to you. And as you do that and you're yoked to him, he will begin to change you dramatically. It's not earning salvation because there's other places where he said, whosoever will may come. He's just clarifying So that's why you gotta be careful. You've got to, and that's why I love that our church family goes through books of the Bible so that you don't just cherry pick and choose and you put it all together and then you say, oh, what should I know? What should I understand about salvation? When you say yes to Jesus, you go from ownership, me, my people, my stuff, to stewardship. I steward everything now. I own nothing. He's my master. I steward everything now. My life, my significant relationships. What's he want me to do? What kind of dad does he want me to be? What kind of father? What kind of neighbor? What kind of coworker? I steward relationships. I steward this life he's given me and I steward my stuff, which causes you to live more loosely with it. What's he want me to do with my stuff? Does he want me to keep all this? Does he want me to give some of it away? What's he want me to do? I'm a steward of everything. So, what does this look like in greater detail? Well, letter A, look at how this impacts your horizontal relationships. Your first love for him now begins to fuel your secondary love for other people. Your first love for him will begin to fuel your secondary love for other people around you. Look at verse 26 again, because we've got to make sure you understand what he's saying and not saying in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world is he talking about? Well, you guys, it cannot mean literally our definition of hate, active hostility towards these people. Because he already told us in Luke chapter 6, we've been through there, love your enemies. All right. So can't be I should actively hate these significant relationships closest to me. What is going on then? This is an example of how the word hate in their Semitic culture and language. In their Semitic culture and language, they use the word hate two ways. They used it like we do. It could be used to mean active hostility, but they also used it to mean comparatively in light of something or someone else you love far far more. He's using it that way. And one of the best examples of this, you say, really? Genesis 29. If you know your Old Testament, you know some of the stories. Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. Who did he love more? Rachel. Do you know literally in Genesis ch- chapter 29, literally in the Hebrew original language, it says Jacob loved Rachel and hated Leah. But our English translators did not say it that way for us. Why? They understood it was a cultural Semitic usage. So it says in our English Bibles, every single translation, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. He didn't actually literally hate Leah, but he loved Rachel so much more comparatively. Comparatively. This is what Jesus is doing right here. Think about what he's saying right here. He's saying, I want you to look at all your earthly loves, those that matter most to you. Look at all of them, what you prize and prioritize most. The love of a father and mother for their children. The Greeks had a word for love for that, storge, family affection. And if you have kids, then you know what that's like. I didn't know I could love someone that much, which means I didn't know someone could hurt me that much. Storge affection father mother for a kid he's put his finger on that but then he says consider romantic or sexual love how many poems have been written about that how many songs have been written about that and sung about that it's powerful and they had a word for that romantic sexual love between a husband and wife eros and then he goes on and says i want you to even consider brother sister love sibling love i've watched Praise God, my kids, I have five of them. I thought some of them would hate each other for life, the way they behaved as young kids. And the way certain people treated certain people, they had every right to. And now, guess what, is one of my greatest joys. Oh my goodness, those five kids love each other. They call themselves the five little peppers. And they have a little, a little text that we're not allowed to be a part of where they talk to each other, <laughs> probably about us. <laughs> I don't know, if you're listening, what are you really doing on that? But we're not allowed to be a part of the five little peppers. There was some little children's book we read to them called The Five Peppers, and they decided to call themselves The Five Peppers. They're tight. They're tight. Mother, father, husband, wife, brother, sister. What is he doing? In this one verse, you guys, verse 26, Jesus takes every kind of love we prize and treasure most, parental, sexual, familial. And he says, I want from you... And I offer to you a love oh my goodness, a kind of love that will make all these earthly loves pale in comparison. He says, "I don't want sentiment. I don't want your infatuation, that's. Fle- I don't want fleeting, fleeting and inspirational feelings like a hallmark card or movie at the end of a sermon. I want a love. That's as real as the love you have for a wife, a husband, a child, a father, a mother, a best friend. Let me illustrate it this way. You realize the stars are out all day? Do you realize that? Stars are out all day. They don't fade. They don't have a dimmer switch. Oh, go down during the day. They don't go Anywhere, 300 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy are right where they were at midnight. Why can't you see them? Because the brightness of the sun surpasses and eclipses the light of any other star. Stay with me. It does not destroy them. It simply surpasses them. And that's what he's saying. I don't want your love for father, mother, wife, brother, sister to be extinguished. Actually, when you love me first and love me most and bring it here, oh, it enables you. That love floods into all of your earthly loves and you are able to love people, oh my goodness, in a way you couldn't. And that's what some of you are missing. I'm sorry, my friend. You will love your wife and husband best when you love Jesus most. You will love your children best when you love Jesus most. Some of you. You can't really love your kids because you need them too much. You need something from them to prop you up. You can't love your spouse because your hand's always out. You live on such a horizontal level, needing earthly love to keep you going, that you crush people. You are exhausting emotionally. Some of you are like, I live with that person. When you don't know his love and you are not, that's why Paul's prayers are always, that they would know the love of Christ. The width and the height and the depth And to be grounded in it when you begin to be overwhelmed by his love and take him your first love, it floods into all of your earthly horizontal loves and enables you to go on loving in a way that you just can't when you don't have his. Oh, you can just keep, because real biblical love is what? Giving to the needs of another expecting what? Nothing. Nothing in return. You can't do that unless you're so filled up with his love. See, this changes how you relate to other people. This radically changes how you relate to other people. And you don't need people. You're not as easily knocked down by people, and you don't need them to constantly prop you up. You can begin to live so very different. So let's talk about this some more, letter B. Your new identity in him. Changes what you need from other people around you. Well, look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's he talking about? If you're like me, I grew up hearing people like my grandparents from time to time to say, well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. What are they talking about? Almost always they were talking about a life circumstance and usually something hard that isn't Going away. There's no fix for that. You're going to live with that for a lifetime. Guess what? Jesus is not talking about that. He's not talking about a hard life circumstance that has no solution. We say, Brad, what's he talking about? Oh, Jesus is talking about your very own life, self. That's why, that's why in Luke 9, we already had it, Luke 9, 23, where he said, take up your cross how often? Daily and deny what? Self. That's what we don't want to let go of, my life, my life. He's not talking about life circumstances. He's talking about you dying to self and making your identity with his life and death and resurrection now so that it shapes and informs you, it shapes and informs you and changes the way you see those life circumstances. The circumstance doesn't change at all, but the way you see it changes. In other words, you die to your agenda for life and what you think makes you, you, but that's what makes me, me. Yeah, whatever. I'm not holding on to any of that. Let's see what he does with me. Let's see what he does with me. I'm not holding on. I'm not bringing you a couple of rooms in my heart, but holding back the things that matter most to me. I'm giving you all. I'm I'm letting go of self. Because notice, he doesn't say, take up my example. Take up my advice. Take up your, say it, Cross. In other words, he's saying you'll need to die to yourself and let who I am and what I've done for you define you now. Become your identity now. You're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's the S. You realize the S. Every other religion is a list of things to do, and I work hard on this. The essence of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, and you are now identified in Him and by Him. You're in Christ. Radically different. You see yourself now in light of who he is. Let me show you, Paul the apostle talks the same way. Jump over to Colossians chapter three. Here's one of my favorite passages and I want you to see it. Paul's talking about the same thing, you guys. Colossians chapter three, beginning of verse one. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to believers. You realize if you've truly come to faith in Christ and you've given him your whole life, Then when he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. This is a a radically different thing. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Oh, here it is. For you have, say it, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The you, the original you that was born, self, my agenda, me, my people, my stuff, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now watch this, verse 4. When Christ, who is your saying, life. That's Christianity, you guys. It's not, oh, Christ is in my life. I invited him to be a part of my life. He's in the wagon of my parade. He's peripheral. He's an appendage. He's a footnote. No, no, he's your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will be like him in glory. When you give your life to Christ, God then looks at you and sees What Jesus has done. That means every day, every day you have to adopt this. And it's a fight because my flesh still wants me to think like I used to think and identify myself the way I used to identify and fearfully cling to the same things. So don't hear me say this is easy. I've got to go with what the Bible teaches me, not what I feel, not what the world tells me, not what my flesh screams at me. I've got to remind myself tenaciously and adopt this mentality of who I really am in Christ now and oh listen to me when you begin to do this to any measure it frees you from being so self absorbed and exhausting to people around you and now don't make a mistake you don't go from thinking you're so great I think about me all the time and I'm so great and now I shift to I'm bad I'm bad I'm bad this is not from self exaltation to self loathing some of you are over here and you're really good at it That isn't what he's saying either. Guess what? You go from thinking about self all the time to just not thinking about you at all. It's called self forgetfulness, not self loathing. And oh, when you can get on this path a little bit, it'll never be perfect. Then you don't focus on your own needs, you don't obsess over your own failures. I did it again, I did it again, I did it again. You don't get your feelings hurt so easily. Some of you go through life, you get your feelings hurt so easily. I want you to think about why. It usually means you're thinking about you too much. Why are you still thinking about you so much? You don't get your feelings hurt as easily, and you don't stay as deeply wounded when someone snubs you overlooks you because it's just not all about you. You have a first love for Jesus Christ, and it's so real. It informs you. It rules you. And it enables you to risk and love and keep going and forgive, even when you're not getting something. Too many people live with their hand out, and all they're doing is trading this little bitty drop, this smidgen of love back and forth. I'll love you if you love me back. As soon as I'm getting back what I want, I can't give you anymore. No, you can't if all you have is this horizontal level, and you're just trading this thing back and forth. When you begin to get this, it's unending. It's unending. It's unending. It's life-changing. Let me ask you, what do you have today? Where are you in relationship to Jesus? Here's a crowd. He had a crowd. Where are you? Are you in the kingdom with him, and you know him? And you're not perfect, but you've given him your life. The, the longer I'm a pastor, you guys, and the more I try to share the gospel and love people and pray for people, I just keep coming back to this. I, I'm grateful for apologetics. I'm grateful smart people who have, who have big hard books that answer hard questions, but it just keeps coming back to this. I recently had a family member that didn't shut us down when we started to share the gospel, usually like, and then they actually admitted, I don't want to give up control of My life. Well, thank you for the honest moment so I don't waste my money on another book on apologetics that answers what's your objection? What's your objection? What about creationism? What about dinosaurs? What about where, who, where'd Cain get his wife? Oh, just please. That's not their biggest problem. I don't want to give up control of my life. The gospel is good news. And it's simple enough for a child to understand. But it cuts right at the core of our biggest sin issue. I want to be autonomous. I want to call the shots in my life. So, oh, listen to me. What do you have today? Do you know him and love him? And are you able to love others? You're not perfect, but you've experienced new birth. You've got a different perspective about me, my people, my stuff. Or... Do you simply hold to some intellectual information about Jesus while you still hold on to your own life? Jesus wants you to know if that's you, you're still outside of the kingdom, looking at it, informed about it. But you don't know. You're not one of his. Come to Christ today. Come to me, he said. And yoke up with him and say, yes, I'll give you my life. Bow your heads as we close. Oh, my goodness, we're in chapter 14. So there's some of you that have been listening, listening, learning, learning. You might even be online at one of the other campuses. Today, let it be the day of salvation. You don't need more information. You do need to step across the line. He's told you the cost, but it is so worth it. Oh, my goodness, it's a cost worth. That's why the Bible also talks about the pearl of great price. When you understand who he is and what he's done for you, you'll sell all that you have to get that. There's nothing in this world worth hanging on to and losing him and going to hell. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Right where you sit you can pray a simple prayer and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I could never save myself. I could never be good enough. I could never keep the Ten Commandments. You sent your son to do for me what I could never do. I Believe, not just intellectually, but I bring you, I shift my first affections. I don't know what this looks like in the days ahead, but I've heard the cost, and I'm willing, and I am willing to submit my will, my volition, and give Jesus my life. Save me by your grace, by faith alone, in your son alone. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.